to greater or lesser degrees. I'm sure we can all relate to that disorienting and frustrating struggle of feeling stuck. So if you're honest with yourself this morning, are you feeling stuck? Feeling trapped? Are you trying to help someone you love who seems to be stuck or trapped? You could be stuck living in the past. You live with an ongoing aching and longing of nostalgia. You loathe the present but long for the past. You could be stuck working in a dead-end job, a job with no room to grow financially or move up in position. You might even be stuck working in a boring job you're no longer challenged by, or even in a stressful job that you simply do not like anymore. You groan waking up each day to go to work. You could even be stuck feeling dry as a bone spiritually. Quiet times are a hit or miss. Your prayer life is practically non-existent. Coming to church feels more like a forced chore rather than an eagerness and a longing and a joy that we have a privilege to do. You can feel stuck in a constant state of nagging loneliness. Whether it's at home, at work, in your family, or even the church, you feel like you're just sluggishly walking through a dense fog, one like we had earlier this week. Fearfully and anxiously, all alone in life, you feel aimless, you feel directionless, maybe even a sense of hopelessness. Or maybe you're stuck in some sin that you feel ensnared by. You can't get out of it. It's gnawing at your conscience even this morning. You don't know what to do. It could be a love of self, a love of money, love of pleasure, fear of man, lust, bitterness, fits of anger, or some type of self-harm you've never told anyone. And because you feel trapped, you feel spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally stuck, exhausted, and deeply discouraged. Now, friends, we might not all be in the same circumstances. It's because we are different for so many reasons. But I would pretty confidently say I've lived in this fallen world long enough, I've been a Christian long enough, and I've been a pastor long enough, that at some point in our lives, we have all looked into the mirror and did not like who we have become. Has that been true of yourself in the past? Is that true of even yourself today? You don't even know how you got to where you're at today, but you know you're stuck and you don't like what you've seen. But friends, regardless of where you and I find ourselves, our God holds our lot in his hands. He is working patiently by his spirit in his people, people like us, sitting in this building this morning. And our God has prepared good works for his children at Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, according to Ephesians 2.10. He's got good plans, glorious purposes that he is designed to fulfill in our lives 
if we would but trust his ever-present guidance through the handles he's called us to hold fast to. You might say, what are these handles? What are these ordained means by which God calls us to hold fast to as he guides us through life? Well, today's sermon will be different than the normal preaching diet here at CCBC. Normally, we take the book of the Bible or a passage found in the Bible, and we walk verse by verse, line by line. And 95% of the time, that's exactly what we do. But this morning, I'm going to give a topical sermon that will aim to accomplish a number of things as we look forward to what the Lord has in store for us in the coming year. Here's a few goals I have for this sermon. Goal number one, I want to reaffirm my love for you. I want to reaffirm my love for you. Apart from a unique act of God that I never saw coming, nor am I praying for, I'm not going anywhere. Sometimes dad needs to tell the family, I ain't going anywhere. I'm here. And we're going to keep walking together. We're going to keep loving one another together. And we're going to continue to see good things that God has in store for this dear congregation. Friends, since 2020, September of 2020, Uh, We've had the great privilege of being a covenanted body of believers. And the Lord has been faithful. He has helped us thus far. And in light of that, I want to reaffirm that one of your under-shepherds is committed to continuing walk alongside you through whatever God brings in the coming year. Goal number two, I want this sermon to be clear, crystal clear, to our guests who are visiting with us this morning. So if you are visiting with us, I want this sermon to answer some questions. Why on earth does this church exist? And what is this congregation most about? If you're interested in learning more about membership here, you can come to our membership classes on February 1st and February 8th. I hope to see some of you here. Goal number three, I want to give clarity and direction to the present members of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. I want to kind of shine a light onto the highway. If some of us are kind of asleep, I want to kind of turn up the radio a little bit and wake us back up or take you to a gas station, get you an energy drink, and let's just keep going. But maybe you've been a member of this church since its earliest days. You're a charter member, as the old school name goes. You've been here since the core team days, since the pit stains Hot as I'll get out, backyard bash in June of 2020. Some of us remember those days. Or maybe you've been here just for less than a year. Regardless if you are an old timer, that's kind of funny, we're not, we haven't really been that long. Or you've recently joined, I hope this morning's message is a reset button. And it refreshes our minds on why we're here. How can I be a blessing? How can I be a support of what God is doing through the life of this church and in this ministry? So if you have a copy of God's Word, open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, just to forewarn you on two things. Number one, this section we're going to sit the longest on. We are going to flip to different passages of the Bible together. Normally in a given sermon, I try to keep us on track on one, but because it's topical, we got a little roadmap to take. 
This will be one of several, but one definitely is the longest. So certainly have your Bibles with you. If you're using one of the chair Bibles provided, you can find 2 Timothy 4 on pages 579. This morning's sermon has been entitled CCBC's Long Game Ministry Strategy. So if someone asks you, what is Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church all about? What's our ministry strategy in reaching the next generation? What's our 5, 10, or 20-year plan as a church? If I joined CCBC, what would serving and supporting the ministry look like? What's our ministry vision long-term here in the River Valley? To answer those questions, in one way or another, I'm going to lay out five ministry priorities. Five ministry priorities, and they will serve as main points for this morning's sermon. At the conclusion, I want to tie all these points together as we see God's vision for Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. Ministry priority number one, preach the word. Preach the word. Ministry priority number two, gather with the church. Gather with the church. Ministry priority number three, serve the body of Christ. Serve the body of Christ. Ministry priority number four, stay until God clearly uproots you. Stay until God clearly uproots you. Ministry priority number five, persevere in faithful obedience, and persevere in prayer. Persevere in faithful obedience, and persevere in prayer. Let's look at that first ministry priority together. Ministry priority number one, preach the word. 2 Timothy 4, look with me in verses 1 to 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions." And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is God's word. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see the final chapter that the Apostle Paul would pin to his young protege in ministry, Timothy. And amidst the closet full of instructions that he gave Timothy, gave him all these kind of how-tos and what-not-to-dos in local church ministry, he narrows Timothy's most important focus, most important task that he, along with every preacher and every a pastor, must give himself to. And what is the most important task? It is to preach the word. Preach the word. 
Now, what is preaching? Now, that might be a question that could be saying, you know, you're preaching to the choir, pastor. Well, you have assumed too much knowledge and too much maturity out of average church folks to answer that question. How would you define preaching then? How would you define preaching? Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life. And you've heard preaching since your early childhood years. But maybe you've never sat down and reflected very long on what preaching actually is. And why Christians take time out of their life and schedule to sit under preaching till Jesus takes them home to glory. So kids, I remember what it was like sitting in church. And this is what I honestly thought about sermons when I was your age. They were confusing, long, and somewhat boring. If that's been your experience under my ministry, thank you for your patience with me. Because guess what? There are adults in this room that think the same thing. They're older than you, but at heart, they're still a child. They at times think it's still, at times, long, confusing, and boring. But to help everyone have a better understanding of what preaching actually is and why it's important, I think it's good for us to raise the question and then answer it. What is preaching? The word here, preach, is keruso. It means a message that is to be heralded or publicly proclaimed and announced with gravity and authority. So here's my personal definition, somewhat clunky. Get the audio later. I'll mention it three times. And I want you to at least take one word from the definition and meditate on it. Preaching is the weighty and worshipful proclamation of the word of God in the presence of God with the aim to convict, to convert, to equip, and to transform the hearers. Preaching is the weighty and worshipful proclamation of the word of God in the presence of God with the aim to convict, to convert, to equip, and to transform the hearers. Well, is that true? Look with me again at Paul's words to Timothy. Paul says, I charge you. In other words, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, which means this, beloved, more than just the congregation is present. God is listening when his word is being preached. You might think the person sitting next to you is the only person in your row. Our omnipresent and ever near God is with his people. God is listening. Who is to judge the living and the dead? That's another way of saying everybody. Everybody that's dead, everybody that's about to die, and everybody that's going to die will what? 
and by his appearing and his kingdom, in other words, God's everlasting kingdom and the reality of judgment day. I mean, Paul is just stacking block after 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 block. This is a charge, not a suggestion. Not just the congregation, but God is listening. Not just you, but the dead and those who are living. All of this with God's kingdom and stamp of approval coming behind this next command. What does he tell Timothy to do? Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to get anything from this sermon and this point, and what we will prioritize here at Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church is that preaching is weighty. Preaching is weighty and it's worshipful because it's a solemn responsibility given to us from God. Friends, when a man stands up in a pulpit, if the thrust of his so-called sermons as a regular pattern of his ministry are but a joke and a coke with sappy stories tagged on with Bible verses ripped out of context to make it sound Christian. Friends, if that's the overwhelming pattern of his ministry, he has greatly missed the mark of being a herald of God's word. In one way or another, that kind of preacher does not grasp the weightiness of the sacred desk. He does not understand the high calling of this worshipful task. Because if you understand this is not a man-engineered Sunday-only event job, this is to be whoever stands behind this pulpit in any pulpit is to be a herald, a messenger of another one's message. He doesn't need to tamper with it. He doesn't make it softer so it doesn't hurt as bad or more clever to keep people interested. Friends, the Bible is sufficient by itself. And you should not ever pay a man or support that ministry if he does not preach with that kind of confidence. Preaching is not like lots of speeches or talks or lectures you might experience in a given week. Those have their place. But that's not preaching. Preaching is not a freshman high school or college class lecture like a professor imparting science or history to their students. Friends, that's not preaching. Preaching is not a motivational speech from a sports coach to his athletes. That is not preaching. Preaching is not a therapy session where expressing human emotions and feelings are the most important thing that matters in that moment. That is not preaching. Preaching is not a weekly self-esteem booster shot where we tell one another how great we are and how much God needs us. That is not preaching. Preaching, if it is to be understood biblically and historically, is a solemn 
serious and weighty responsibility given to some capable and qualified men who are set apart and supported by God's people to proclaim or to herald God's word. And notice this. This isn't just words about God or random words that sound religious or moralistic in nature. We're talking about he is to preach the word of the living God. Not a word, but the word that has been preserved for us. What is the word? It's the scriptures. It's the gospel, of course, but it is the scriptures, the God-breathed scriptures. This is the sacred text that many of us hold in our hands. It's a collection of letters and historical accounts that over 40 human authors spend over 1,500 years of human history, but all of it, beloved, is inspired by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of the living God. In other words, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. Friends, you know what you and I should want every Lord's Day? I want a sermon soaking wet with Scripture. I want it saturated like the bottom of a paper bag full of greasy fries saturated. Give me Bible, Pastor, because when Scripture speaks, who's speaking? I want to hear from God, not you, Pastor. I want to hear from God, not what's everything's popular in my community. I want to hear from my Maker. When Scripture speaks, God speaks. And, and you'll see that very clearly. Just flip back to chapter 3. It's really, there's no chapter breaks in, in the original manuscript, so it's useful to read chapters 3 and 4 together. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, real quickly. That's what Paul said right before this charge. 2 Timothy 3, 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Brothers and sisters, we're living in a day and age where mankind thinks everyone needs to know what they're thinking. That the height or the mantra of the Imago Dei the way God made us, is that everyone needs to know what our thoughts are. Everyone needs to know how I feel, whether that's my personal feelings on X, Y, and Z, or my sexual desires, or my word vomit all over social media. The mantra of, I must be heard. I must be accepted for who I am or what I think I am and whatever I believe. And no one can tell me otherwise. The definition of that is humanism. Man or woman, mankind, is the center, end-all, be-all. Secular means godless. Humanism means man is the point of everything. Godless humanism is anti-Christian. And friends, if we're not careful, if we're not sitting under the word regularly, we're walking 
secular humanist, and we don't even know it. Preaching, if we understand it rightly, is actually the total opposite. God's word comes to us and calls us to account. God's word doesn't want us to tell God what we think about his word. God's word tells us what we ought to think about his word. Friends, when we hear God's word read, explained, proclaimed, and applied, it's God reminding the creature who is the creator. During the 20th century, W.A. Criswell, remembers W.A. Criswell, there's a couple of generations that would have known his preaching. He served as the senior pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas for nearly five decades. Hear what Mr. Criswell said to young men who came to him wanting to learn how to preach. And notice how he tried to put that nail in their head on the distinction and the reverence for preaching God's word. Notice what he said. When a man comes to church, what he is saying to you is this, preacher, I know what the TV commentator has to say. I hear him every day. I know what the editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read them every week. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? If God has anything to say, tell us what it is. Friends, simply but frankly put, preaching is not a dialogue. Preaching is a monologue. We close our mouths and God opens our hearts. We sit and listen and God works as he speaks through the preaching of his word. In preaching, God is the one who is speaking, and we are like the valley of dry, dead bones in Ezekiel's day. We are utterly dependent on God's spirit to bring lost sinners from death to life, stubborn sinners from rebellion to repentance, weary and discouraged Christians, and transform them into bold and courageous lions for Jesus. And God does this through the preaching of his word, and his spirit applies the word to our hearts. Friends, God reveals himself through the preaching of his word. Friends, have you ever noticed that sometimes during a Sunday morning service, and I don't want to get like bad decostal on you and the old blades getting all charismatic on us. Well, I'll try to use it for the right ways. Do you understand when we hear God's word preached, we are encountering the living God? We're not flipping through channels, flipping through radio songs. Oh, I wonder what's on the radio of God's word today. When God's word is proclaimed, when it is taught, when it is received and understood, we, the creature, encounter our maker. Friends, God's word is not something you can just, well, that was nice. I'll get to it. It's not a big of a deal. The worship is about the music. The word, well, that's something different. No, no, no. Everything that God's people do on the Lord's day in Christ's name is worship. Preaching is worship. Receiving it is worship. And then applying it and living an all-of-life worship. That's worship. Notice again here that preaching has an aim in mind. 
Did you notice what Paul said? To convict, or I would elucidate there, convert, equip, and transform. Uh, in other words, preaching is not something that you and I can turn into an academic exercise. Hear God's word read and taught, hear it and say, oh, that was nice, and then walk out of these doors and forget everything you've heard. Friends, do you know that there's an evil one who hates what's going on right now? The seed of God's word falls amongst four different types of soils, right? The parable of the soil. The first one, seed falls along the path. And what does the parable teach us? Satan comes and plucks it up so that it never affects the hearer. Friends, I would encourage all of us, when we have the moment of silence at the end of the service, and you're really ready to go, make this your prayer. God, prevent me from forgetting what you told me today. And then go out the door. Use that time. Because war for your soul begins as soon as you leave those doors. Friends, God's word is living and active, isn't it? Hebrews 4.12, it doesn't need updating. Google doesn't need to improve on it. It is supernatural. God takes the written text inspired by the triune God and changes lives. You might even ask this question, well then, I mean, what's the effect? I mean, what does God's word do to me? Now we've defined what it is. What should it be doing to me? If I'm listening and I don't want it to go in one ear and out the other, what should it be doing to me as a weekly rhythm of my life? Notice again what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready and in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Friends, did you know that every time God's word goes forth, God has a purpose in mind? Do you know that? Every sermon. Every faithful, and God can even use bad sermons and save people. It's just bizarre. He really can. Like I was saved under the ministry of one man that I would never pay any amount of money for it today. I don't even know if he's walking with Jesus anymore for all I know. But 20 years ago, the Lord used it. So he doesn't need the best, most fantastic, eloquent speakers to get his work done. He doesn't, not at all. But God does use every sermon, every Bible study, every gospel conversation to accomplish his divine purpose. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Look that up later. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Hey, Charlie, you might like this and all the golfers in here. God has so many purposes for when his word goes forth. It's, it's much like golf clubs in God's heavenly golf bag. Each club is formed and shaped and used for a different purpose. But they all have the same goal in mind, more or less, getting the ball closer to or in the hole. Well, God's word comes to us in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it's convicting. Sometimes it's comforting. Sometimes it counsels us. Sometimes it shows our ignorance. Sometimes it delivers us. I mean, all these different ways God uses his word to do something in us. I mean, have you ever been sitting at church and you're hearing God's word preached and then all of a sudden you go, how on earth? Did you know that was going on in my life, Pastor Blake? Was there a video camera? Did, 
I knew you stalked people. This membership thing all along. Everybody come in room. Just lean in. Do it for my humor here. Just lean in. Let me tell you a secret. I don't know these things. I'm the mailman. I don't write the mail. I deliver it. If anything ever comes up in your heart that you go, how on earth did you know I was going through that and I needed this to hear? How did you know that? I I didn't. But God's word does. Friends, God's word, it rebukes us. It reproves us. It convinces us we're off. It shows us our error. It shows where we've gone astray. It shows us where we've been hiding in the dark. It shows us where we've been hiding sin in our hearts. That's why for me, preaching is some of the most sanctifying things to do. Because if you get broken in a service, because I first was broken too. (laughs) I preach as a broken man to broken men. And that's the best I'll ever become to you. Friends, God can show us all sorts of things in the midst of preaching. False beliefs we believe, false teaching. It could be sinful attitudes like pride and grumbling or murmuring. You ever walked into church with a sour attitude and leave going, wow, God is merciful. Sinful behavior, that sin of presumption, putting off to tomorrow what God has commanded us to do today. God always does that. Reproves, he rebukes. He also encourages and comforts and gives us assurance of his love. That's why he says, with exhortation or exhorting as well. That's why when you're deeply discouraged in your life as a Christian, one of the best places you need to be is in church. When you're sitting on the couch going, no one will care, I've had a terrible week, it's not going to matter anyway, it's just going to feel the same as always, you're not hearing from God in that moment. You and I need to be encouraged and exhorted and comforted, and God's word also does that to our souls. A good litmus test on whether or not you're sitting under a preaching that you should be sitting under, there's three questions to ask. Number one, on a regular pattern, I'm not talking about one sermon, but a regular pattern, you know, give it six months to 12 months, under this person's preaching or this church's ministry, Am I being confronted and convicted by my sin? Am I being confronted and convicted by my sin? Part of the ministry of the word is to what? Reprove and rebuke. If that is not a part of, not literally every sermon, but as an overall normal pattern in a preaching ministry, you need to ask yourself that question. Am I being confronted or convicted? Number two, am I having some of my beliefs challenged or even changed? Am I having some of my beliefs challenged or changed? That could be theology and doctrine, church traditions and church practice, dating and marriage, raising kids, stewardship of money, knowing what a peacemaker and reconciliation looks like. All these ways God's word challenges or corrects us. The question is, am I being challenged or corrected in my beliefs at all? And number three, am I being freshly reminded of the grace and mercy of God through Jesus? Am I being freshly reminded of the grace and mercy of God through Jesus? Friends, that's, that's another reason why we should come to church. 
one of the number one tactics of the evil one towards God's children is not that he can take their salvation from them, but it's to get them to doubt it when they shouldn't. Friends, we need to hear the gospel every week, the good news that God has treated us better than our sins deserve. And friends, if, if those questions, if you look at those, if you're sitting under a ministry over a pattern or length of time, or maybe someone you're loving and discipling and trying to mentor, and they're a part of a church, and they're looking at these questions, and they're going, I'm not experiencing this on a regular basis. Well, friends, they need to find a different church. You got one life. Our souls are on the line. We're going to give an account for our life. We look for good schools, we look for good jobs, we look for good houses, we look for good, 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 good. What about church? What about preaching? If it is this important, we should prioritize that in our life. To my non-Christian friend, you might be skeptical of church and realize that church is full of hypocrites is what you've either seen or heard. Well, That it might be true, there are many hypocrites that enter a church building. But the true church of Jesus Christ is not made up of hypocrites. The true church of Jesus Christ is made up of sinners who see their need for a Savior and want to repent of their sins and follow Jesus. I'm not going to let the devil in pathetic teaching confuse you anymore. The church is not made up. The true church is not made up of hypocrites. The true church of Jesus Christ are real sheep who know the good shepherd, they hear his voice, And they what? They follow him. Repentance reveals who belongs to Christ and who doesn't. The issue is not, do I sin or do you sin? We both sin. The question is, how do you respond to sin when God confronts you in it? Do Christians do that perfectly? No. Is there a pattern and growing measures of this in a Christian's life? Absolutely. You see, friends, before we can even get in this book and understand the gravity of preaching and the weightiness there of it, you have to understand there's a key that unlocks the very meaning of this book. And the key is knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You see, this book will always become just a collection of ancient documents written down in a time in history distant from us. But when God opens our eyes to see God's son for who he is, this becomes the bread of life. Jesus is God's son. He came to us, the logos, the word, truly God, truly man, and dwelt among us. And he lived a perfect life, an obedient life. He taught, he prayed, he healed, he lived perfectly in all the ways that we haven't. And he willingly went up on a cross taking on the punishment for sins that we have committed. He satisfied God's wrath. He died. He was buried. And three days later, God raised him from the dead, showing that and proving to the world he is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. No one can come to God. No one can come to the Father except through him. You see, this is the good news. This is what makes the Christian life Good is that God accepts us, welcomes us, washes us, and clothes us with love. 
not because of what we have done for him, but because of what Christ has done for us. That is the good news. And when you turn from your sins and trust Christ, receiving him by faith, friends, that key gets unlocked and God's word becomes more precious to you than even gold or silver. To those who might be visiting with us this morning, I want to be crystal clear. This church is only for two types of people. You've heard it. So the members are going to go, oh, here we go again. I won't be as long. Two types of people. Real Christians who are serious about following Jesus and non-Christians who are serious about wanting to follow Jesus. Did you hear that? Real Christians who are serious about following Jesus and non-Christians who are serious about wanting to follow Jesus. We have absolutely nothing for entertaining goats or hiding wolves in their sin. You will find very quickly the light will shine so bright you will either repent or you will run. Come to a church, whether it's here or somewhere else, where it is not easy to hide. Come to a church that will love you, come alongside you, pray for you, and hold you accountable. That's not a special church. That's a true church found in the Bible. Pray that that be true of every church throughout the River Valley. So we've discovered in that one point, I told you it was the waterfall. I'm going to start trickling into the cups here. We've discovered what the pastor or preacher's most important task is, to preach the word. We define what it is and what it isn't. But why is it necessary? Why is it that important? Why should we make time on our calendars, whether you're a sticky note, paperback, or Google Calendar kind of person, why should we make time every week to sit under the bold, faithful, clear, soaking wet in sound doctrine sermons from God's word? We should make it a top priority because we can all be vulnerable to listening to the wrong voices. Look with me, verses 3 to 5. 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 5. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Here Paul conveyed to Timothy that over time, people in Ephesus will not desire to hear God's word accurately and boldly proclaimed. And it happens today too. In the Bible Belt, places where scores of nominal Christians live, people will desire to have their Ears tickled, Paul says, rather than be confronted in their sin and have their souls fed sound doctrine. What does it mean to have your ears tickled? It's just an idiom. It just means to be entertained or catered to one's selfish longings. In other words, the less people sit under sound and biblical teaching, the more they will crave. They will crave. They will long for. They will look for 
what their carnal, deceived, ignorant, and self-centered desires want. Beloved, that's why the scriptures warn us. If a congregation, listen to me, if a congregation is undiscerning, you can't even parse. The vast majority of the church doesn't know the difference between sound doctrine and false teaching. They don't know the difference. That congregation can hire a man to pastor them that is not spiritually good for them. Beloved, that's why you should pray for our church. Let any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. It's not how you start, it's how you what? Pray that we as a church be humble, discerning. Never think that we can't lapse into false teaching. Pray that we would have a congregation full of men and women who exercise discernment on knowing truth versus error. And friends, pray for other churches. Pray for other friends that are a part of churches in Arkansas and Oklahoma and here in the local community. Pray that there would be men in those pulpits that actually teach sound doctrine. Because friends, the, the result is catastrophic. There is a time coming and it is already here. Well, they will look for those teachers. They will pay for those teachers to give them what their selfish hearts most desire. Brothers and sisters, why must we put the preaching of God's word at such a high priority in our budget, in our practice, in our prayers? Because we need to be reproved. We need to be rebuked. We need to be encouraged and exhorted. We need to be taught sound doctrine as food for our souls. Otherwise, we go astray, right? You ever been driving on the interstate? You're so tired, it's dark, the lines are starting to bleed together, and you start doing that kind of one-eye thing, and all of a sudden you hear a whoa, 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 banging noise under your tire. Well, what's that noise? It's those rumble strips. It's those sleeper lines, as some call it, that are in the ground to signify you're going off the road. Friends, that's what preaching does. It shows us with those rumble strips where we're going astray to put us back on the narrow way with King Jesus. Preaching is weighty. Preaching is worshipful. Archibald Brown, one of Spurgeon's successors, gave this charge to preachers living in his day in London. He said, grasp the book of God. Trust the spirit who wrote its pages. Fight with this weapon only and always. Cease to amuse and seek to arouse. Shun the clap of a delighted audience and listen for the sins of a convicted one. Give up trying to please men who have only the thickness of their ribs between their soul and hell and warn and plead and entreat as those who feel the waters of eternity creeping upon them. How can you pray for your pastors? Look at verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Friends, pray that we would do that. Use 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5, as a weekly prayer guide for those who teach you God's word. Ministry priority number one was preach the word. Ministry priority number two, gather with the church. Turning your Bibles to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 
24 and 25. writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10 verse 24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near kids have you ever asked this question to your parents mom and dad why do we have to go to church it's actually a good question parents How would you answer it? Parents, be encouraged when your kids ask questions like that. We learn by asking questions rather than just making assumptions. Let me answer that in four brief reasons. Why do we come to church? Why do we gather as a church? Why should that be a priority in our church? Reason number one, because God commands us to. God commands us to. Under the inspiration of Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, this is God's loving and wise instruction. God knows what he's doing. It's his world. It's his church. And he can be trusted. We assemble. We gather because God commands us to. Reason number two, because we all need encouragement from other believers on a regular basis. Because we all need encouragement from other believers on a regular basis. Friends, we can all become spiritually dull. Uh, pastors can too. And so the author of Hebrews says that we need to be stirred up. Could even be translated to provoke, to stimulate, or to motivate to love and good works. Now think about that. If we are called to gather together to encourage, to stir up one another to love and good works, what's the opposite of love and good works? It's hatred and disobedience. It's spiritual apathy and laziness. It's religious hypocrisy. Friends, that's why we need to gather regularly together, because we're all prone to fall on those ditches. We need to gather because we need encouragement on a regular basis. Reason number three, we gather because it encourages your pastors or elders who feed you the word of God. It encourages your pastors or elders who feed you the word of God. Now, I know that comes off self-serving. I am a pastor. (laughs) But if preaching is the weighty and worshipful proclamation of the word of God, and we need to regularly be reproved, rebuked, encouraged in the things of God, then pastors who truly love their flock, like your lead pastor and your elders do, we want to know if the sheep of this flock are doing well. We want to know what's going on. We want to see you fed the word of God and we want to lead you in accordance with it. Which logically means when members of our church aren't regularly gathering with us, when some of them actually could be, it raises concerns in your pastor's hearts. That's why in some cases, when members don't gather, when they could, it can discourage your pastors. It can actually weigh us down pretty heavily. As Matt Schmucker has said, like a father worried about his son who hasn't yet come home late at night, a good shepherd doesn't rest until all his sheep are accounted for. Habitual non-attenders 
makes this task nearly impossible. That's why church membership here at CCBC means something. We take gathering together seriously. As Caleb Morrell said, church membership isn't like a newspaper subscription you can pay for and not use. In other words, having your name on the roll but not regularly attending is a contradiction in terms when it comes to meaningful membership in a church. Gathering with the church on the Lord's Day is not to be an I'll get around to it kind of decision. It should be put on the weekly calendar, carved out and highlighted as very important, and many other less important things should be planned around it, not in the place of it. This should be clearly discussed with family and friends, especially around holiday time, birthdays, vacations even. If you can't be here, you can still gather with another church on the Lord's Day somewhere else. If you need some guidance or help, trust me, I have pastors out there that I can help direct you to. Friends, in joining this church, when we talk about gathering together, it's not a legalistic rule. It's for our good. We are the ones who miss out when we decide to put something else in front of gathering with believers. Our church covenant says this, unless providentially hindered, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, prioritizing our weekly gatherings for mutual edification and worship to God as we eagerly anticipate the day of Christ's return. And again, as you've heard me say a million times, Christians can miss for legitimate reasons and some of which are providential hindrances. This could include sickness, financial hardship, family constraints, military deployment, school obligations, and other reasonable causes. But friends, those are the unique exceptions, not the norm. And one thing I'm super encouraged by, the vast majority of our members here do regularly gather. And that is something to celebrate because that is not true of many other churches. So praise be to God. Continue to stir one another up as we gather together. Reason number four, we gather to be reminded of the brevity of this life and our eternal hope in Christ. To be reminded of the brevity of this life and our eternal hope in Christ. Look at there in verse 25. He says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, The day there refers to the second coming of Christ By implication, the subsequent consummation of the new heavens and new earth. Friends, every week our minds get bogged down in the muck and mire of sin, suffering, discouragement, spiritual warfare, and bitter providences. But when we gather as the church, with the church, we are reminded we are not alone in the Christian life. Friend, if you're here today and you're suffering and you were able to make it here, you're an encouragement to other sufferers. When you're suffering and singing God's praises, like whatever my God ordains is right, that's encouraging another sufferer. Oh, friends, there are times where you're not able to be here for legitimate reasons, but never let suffering be something you experience alone. The body of Christ, when we're bound together in love, are called to suffer together. When we When we choose not to gather, we rob the privilege for other members to minister to our needs. Gathered worship prepares us for all of life worship. 
It reminds us that we're one day closer to seeing Christ. We're one day closer to beholding our God. Ministry priority number three, serve the body of Christ. Serve the body of Christ. Look at 1 Peter 4 with me. 1 Peter 4. You're doing a great job this morning. 1 Peter 4. I want you to look at verses 8 to 11. First Peter 4, starting in verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, in joining Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church, we are committing to humbly give ourselves in service to one another and humbly allowing others to serve us. God has given each one of us different spiritual gifts, certain energy capacity, freedoms, resources, seasons of life where we can bless others in urgent and practical ways. Uh, One of the things that we have to always be reminded of is that we're all in different places in our spiritual maturity. Uh, Some of us are brand new Christians. Others of us are not brand new, but we're still young in the faith. Some of us are growing leaps and bounds, and other of us feel stuck in sin, suffering, discouragement, or you're spiritually dry. And yet, that is precisely why God has bound us together. When one of us are weak, someone else could be strong. (laughs) When someone is discouraged, another one could be encouraged. And that's why Peter says that believers have been given, kind of broadly speaking, two different types of spiritual gifts. They're speaking gifts, like speaking God's word, teaching God's word, encouraging others in the body of Christ. And there are hands and feet gifts, gifts of service, ministries of mercy, meeting practical needs like meals, clothes, finances, fixing house repairs, setting up chairs in the building, cleaning the church, organizing the Lord's Supper elements, setting up and running sound and computer needs in the church, and giving themselves to a variety of administrative, technological, and logistical tasks throughout the body. But bottom line is this, regardless of how we're gifted, Peter gives the same charge to every Christian. Look at verse 10. He says, use it. Use it. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Sometimes Christians ask this question, what are my spiritual gifts? And how do I use them? In his book, How Can I Serve My Church, author Matthew Imadi gives some helpful advice. He says, quote, don't get me wrong, spiritual gifts are important. The Lord Jesus gifts his people for service, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. But many Christians wrongly think they must be gifted in a specific area before they can commit to serving. Have you ever heard someone say something like, toddlers scare me. I'm just not gifted with children. Hospitality is great, but God hasn't called me to that because my house isn't big enough. God just hasn't given me a heart for youth ministry. I'm all for evangelism. I'm just not gifted. Maybe you've said something similar, but spiritual gifts aren't meant to restrict us from serving the body. They're for the body's common good. 
neither are they to function as excuses for why we can't serve in ways that make us feel uncomfortable. Comfort, passion, gifting, and confidence aren't prerequisites for service. Weakness and humble desperation for God's help are. I've never once felt gifted or confident in unclogging toilets. It's not my passion, yet I have done it many times in my house and in the church. Why? Because there was a need. There are needs in your church, all kinds of them. So stop waiting for the perfect opportunity that aligns with your gifts. Instead of refraining from service until you figure out your calling or your spiritual gifts, serve in various kinds of ways and your gifts will surface through your service. So members of CCBC, you know what that is? Get your swim trunks on and jump on in. Just get to serving. Get to serving. And if you're like, you know, drowning in the kiddie pool, well, we need to put you maybe outside the pool for a while, but you're going to learn what your gifts are through trying. This is not a performance, guys. Yes, we want to do things with excellence, but this is not American Idol with Jesus in the background. If you mess up, so what? God forgave you of your sin. I mean, my goodness. You know, I knew a preacher one time that got up and spilled water all over the pulpit and on the ground in the middle of a sermon. He like scarred him. It took him like seven years to get over it, and he wasn't the main preacher, but he got over it. Bottom line is don't worry about messing up. Don't worry about not doing the best, the best of the best. Just give it your best. This is a family, not an art studio. Just try. Meet a need and try. It's interesting. Paul, I mean, Peter even brings up some practical ways too. Do you see verses 8 and 9? Talks about persistent love towards one another and showing up uh, in people's lives and showing mercy towards their sin. Uh, that's one of the best ways we can preserve unity in our church. Forbear with one another's sins and quirks and show relentless patience with one another. And then he even says we should show some of this love by showing hospitality without grumbling or a complaining heart. Friends, one of the best ways you can serve this church is simply spending yourself to get to know one another. Spending yourself to get to know one another. Friends, there is a time and a place to get the job done on a service team. There is a time and a place for focus, intense, concentrated Bible study, music team rehearsal, sermon prep, and corporate worship. But we should not become so preoccupied with our activities and busy lives that we don't slow down enough to just hang out and get to know each other. Friends, a part of the benefits of joining a local church is working hard to get to know other people and for those people to get to know us. If you're wondering, well, Blake, I'm an introvert, I'm awkward and all that sort of thing. Well, I got it. I, I get that. Here's some practical ways just to spur on questions so that we can get to know each other in meaningful ways. Here's four suggestions. I'll repeat them twice. What was one to two encouraging things that happened to you this week? What was one to two encouraging things that happened to you this week? You just kind of leave it open-ended. See what they say. What was one to two difficult things that happened to you this week? What was one to two difficult things that happened to you this week? Number three, what have you been learning in God's word this week? 
What have you been learning in God's word this week? And how can I pray specifically for you in this next week? How can I pray specifically for you in this next week? And friends, if you're going, Blake, I just don't, I can't find my place. Or maybe someone comes to you and says, I don't know if I find my place in this church. We don't have my favorite ministry or what I'm gifted at or what I'm, quote, called to. Well, that's a different conversation, but I just want to remind believers, whether you're weary and tired and need a break or you're still just trying to figure out how to get to know people, just showing up is an encouragement to other believers. Just show up. Show up on Sunday. Show up to a members meeting. Show up to Sunday night service. Show up on Tuesday nights. Show up on Wednesday nights. Any opportunity, any excuse we can have to get together is a good thing. So just show up. And if there are certain ways that you've been, you know, gifted or trained or blessed in your past to serve Christ's church, well, you can certainly pray that God would show you the needs of this church. Or you can go to one of your elders and ask, hey, are there any needs I can take off the elder's plate to make y'all's job easier? Or the deacon or deaconesses, just come and talk to us, but pray that God would open your eyes to needs in the body that maybe he's calling you to meet. Brothers and sisters, whatever we decide to do and however we serve, let me give a caution. Idle church members can create muscle atrophy in the body of Christ. Idle church members can create muscle atrophy in the body of Christ. Laziness and idleness is a sin. We need to take proactive steps to serve the body and allow the body to serve us. Ministry priority number four, stay until God clearly uproots you. This is an easy one to talk about in the sense that the application is clear. All of us need friends. Your pastor needs friends. And praise be to God, I do have friends here in this congregation. But friends is not just something that young people need. Young people need friends, middle-aged people need friends, and older people need friends. Some of you have been friends for 10, 20, and 30 years. Praise be to God. And some of you have only known one another for three years or less. That would be true for me and my family. But for those of you who have these long-standing friendships, keep them but carve out some margin in your life to make new ones. Even those of us who have friends going back 10, 20, and 30 years, you can sometimes grow dull and lazy with those friends and new friends come along and provide perspectives and sometimes energy and excitement that your life desperately needs and my life desperately needs. So keep those longtime friends Create some margin to make new ones. Let me give also just a word of advice. Friendships take time and mutual attention to develop. Friendships take time and mutual attention to develop. Friendships are more like trees you plant rather than fast food that you order at the drive-thru. Planting trees to be firmly rooted need to take years and seasons of life. Uh, friendships cannot truly take root in a minute or less. Last thing I'll share with friendships here and staying. God can certainly move people on for various reasons, some good, some not so good. Friends, we should also learn to stay if you know you're prone to run. 
when friendships get hard. If you're prone to run, staying might be God's word to you. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, lay out what love is, and the last thing it says is that love endures all things. Again, in God's providence, he can move us on to other churches, other cities, other states. But until God clearly makes that known, you should endure and persevere, not run from fear, not run from hurt feelings, and not run from being impatient. Love endures all things. Ten years ago, when I was pastoring my first church, my last sermon to the congregation were lessons learned in my first pastorate. And this same lesson that I shared in that sermon has still rung true today, 10 years later. Good preaching draws people. Truly loving people keeps people. Good preaching draws people, and I'm put in that category, true Christians, Christ sheep, etc. But truly loving people keeps people. Ministry priority number five, which is our last one, can I get a what? Amen. There we go. You've persevered up through this sermon. You can persevere through this point. Ministry priority number five, persevere in faithful obedience and persevere in prayer. What is perseverance? Perseverance, it's a new word. Perseverance, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what it is. It's not white knuckling it. It's not wishing for the best. It's a long obedience the same direction. The Apostle Paul put it this way, Galatians 6, verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, we are called to persevere in the work of the Lord, service, teaching, discipleship, and we are called to be patient with Christ's work in his people. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Let's tie this up together. We should also persevere in prayer. So what should we persevere in prayer about? the previous four ministry priorities I've already mentioned. We should persevere in prayer for the preaching of God's word. We should persevere in prayer for the members of CCBC to regularly gather. We should persevere in prayer for our church to be servant-minded. We should persevere in prayer for our church to be deeply committed and not flaky as long as God would have us here. And we should persevere in prayer through every trial and every task he has called us to fulfill. Friends, that is the ministry vision of Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. That's it. A long obedience to King Jesus in the same direction. And with God's help, we will fulfill whatever purpose he has for our congregation. How can we stay focused on that task? Tim Keller once said, don't let success go to your head, nor let failure go to your heart. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. What is our ultimate goal at CCBC? Biblical faithfulness. 
not being famous, not being popular. What is our goal at CCBC? Long-lasting fruitfulness. Not instant results or pragmatic gimmicks to gain a crowd. How do we help one another see the church as a safe place to be raw with our sin and suffering? We must stop treating the church as a Sunday-only event and start loving the church like a family we belong to. And by God's grace, we are experiencing that. Let's continue to press on to be the church God has called us to be. To this end, I close with this encouragement from Mr. Spurgeon. If I have been useful, if I have been useful to you in any measure, pray for me. It is the greatest kindness you can do me. If the word is spoken by these lips has been a means of grace to your children, plead for me that others of the young may be brought to Jesus by my teaching. If you would find my ministry more profitable to your souls, pray for me still more. And let it not be said of your minister that you do not profit by his preaching, and that you have not because you ask not. Beloved, let us wrestle in prayer for untold blessings are to be had for the asking. As a church, we have been especially favored, but we have not exhausted the possibilities of prosperity or the resources of heavenly power. There is a future for us if we pray. Greater things than these lie behind the curtain. No hand can unveil them but the hand of prayer. The singular blessings which have rested upon us in the past call upon us to pray. The marked prosperity and unity of the present invite us to pray. And the hopes of the future encourage us to pray. Behold, the Lord says to you, ask and ye shall receive. Brothers, sisters, slack not your asking, but for the love of souls, multiply your petitions and increase your importunity. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to preach the word. You have called us to gather with the church. You have called us to serve the body of Christ. You have called us to stay until you clearly uproot us, and you have called us to persevere. Lord, we do ask that by your Spirit, we would fulfill the purposes for which you have called Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church to be a light in this community. Lord, we pray that you would take the teaching of your word today, seal it upon our hearts, and make us more into the image of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.